My name is Matthew. Welcome to North Langley. If you are brand new, maybe you're here just for the long weekend visiting someone, or if this is your first time at church in a while, welcome here. Um, and we are uh, in week number six of our eight-week series uh, entitled Loved. We're, we're focusing in on what Jesus has to say about identity, sexuality, and gender. And we as a church are a church who wants to be following Jesus, not just intellectually, but with our whole lives. And so we've used the language of apprenticeship. Um, that An apprentice is someone who learns things intellectually, but lives it out in their life and um, practically every day, day to day. And so uh, our hope is to do that when we, as we follow Jesus, to, to learn from him, but that that would translate into a life that has been changed, a life that's been transformed. So we want to be his apprentices. Now, we we uh, have said this a couple times, but I want to let you know that if you have children here today, if you're a parent with children, um, and maybe this is your first Sunday at North Langley, I just want to let you know this whole series, these eight weeks, are about some pretty heavy topics. And so I would encourage you to, uh, uh, to um, have your kid join uh, maybe the kids program here or something, but I'll leave that with you as a parent to figure out. But we're going to cover some deep stuff today. <clears throat> now, one of the images that has uh, meant a lot to me as we've gone through this series is the image of the heart of the Father, the, the, the arms of the Father and his heart for us. So I've said this a couple times, but I want to remind us that in this series that the truth and the love of the Father are both part of what it means for him to hold us. Uh, if you think about having your own children, or if you don't have children, thinking about you being a child and one of your parents holding you um, and saying, listen, sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no, but it's all love right? Um, when we've got children of our own, uh, we go, sometimes I have to say no to you. Uh, and sometimes I'm going to say yes to something you want to do. But the whole thing is the embrace of a loving parent. And so I just have, just, if you could just keep that in your mind as we journey through this series, um, we are going to continue to say time and time again that the truth of Jesus is not at war with the love of Jesus, right? The truth of Jesus is not at war with the love of Jesus. And our hope for this series is that we would be stretched in both ways. Some of us here need to be stretched in how we love uh, those who are part of the LGBTQ community. We need to be stretched in that way. And Dr. Harper was here last week and he did an excellent job stretching us in how we love um, our LGBTQ neighbor. We want to be a people of generous love, as one of our values uh, says here on the banner, a people of generous love. But some of us need to be stretched when it comes to truth. You know, how have we uh, ignored the teachings of Scripture? Uh, in what ways are we kind of going with experience over against God's Word? And so we need to be stretched when it comes to truth. One little side note, uh, and, and, and when it comes to truth, we need to live the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus. Um, one little thing that happened last week, it was really an insightful moment. Uh, Dr. Harper and I were out for coffee. Um, it, was, it was the Monday after the Sunday he shared. And, and I was just asking, I said, Dr. Harper, why did you never change your mind uh, to become affirming of gay marriage? Like, you have Drew, and like, what, what, what's with that? And he said, you know what, when I look at the scriptures, they're clear. And when I listen to all the revisionist arguments, they don't hold up. And he said, I, of all people, are like the first in line to change my mind about this when it, because of Drew, because of my love for Drew. But I cannot change my mind. I have to stay anchored in what the Bible says. And so that is the tension for us. We just want to challenge ourselves to be people of the word. I hope in your life groups you're opening up the Bible, you're opening up scripture. And, uh, and, but I also hope that we're being pushed with a radical love. And so, okay, let's... let's begin today with exploring what the Bible has to say about gender. Now, you'll note that right here we're kind of taking a right-hand turn or a left-hand turn. I'm not sure what the image is, but one, we're turning, and we're moving, <laughs> we're moving from, from uh, sexual like attraction or same-sex attraction to exploring what the Bible says about gender. So we're going to explore what the Bible says about gender. Today's sermon is entitled Gender Dysphoria and the Compassion of Jesus. Gender Dysphoria and the Compassion of Jesus. So as we dive into our scriptures today, um, I just want to give a special encouragement to anyone who is here today. And for years you have felt that you are a prisoner in your own body. For years you have hated your own body. And for those, all those years, you've carried a deep shame, uh, and you've been very silent about it. Maybe for some of you in your senior years, you've lived this way for decades. 
And I want you, as we, as we listen to God's word, I want you to hear God's heart for you. If you would, would you open to Romans, so sorry, not Romans, to Psalm 139. We'll look at Romans later. Uh, Psalm 139, and we'll read verses 13 to 16. And I want you to hear God's heart for you. The psalmist is writing to God, thanking him that he is a piece of art. So listen to this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So this is the word of the Lord. So God, we come to you and we pray that in your mercy, uh, that you would pour your love upon us here. God, I pray that you'd fill the room with compassion. Lord, I lift up those who have struggled for years or for decades with gender dysphoria. God, I pray that in this place, you would remove the shame, that you would pour your love upon them. God, would you open our eyes in the scriptures to your heart for us, for the goodness of the body as we see in scripture. Point us to yourself. And God, we want to be shaped by you. So come and shape us here today. In Jesus' name we would pray. Amen. All right, imagine. Imagine you're four or five years old and you start noticing that you're different. You're not interested in the things that some of your own gender are interested in. You know, you're, you're a boy and you're interested in, in girl clothing and the games that the girls are playing. Or you're a girl and you're really interested in, in what the boys wear and, and the games that the boys are playing. They seem like more fun to you. And imagine at a young age feeling trapped in the wrong body. Imagine feeling like everything about your body seems to be wrong or just off. You grow to, to hate your body, especially at puberty. When you walk through puberty, imagine just beginning to hate what was happening to you. Your body was starting to develop in a way that you wanted your body to develop like those who are either a boy or a girl and you're feeling off with the whole thing. And to make matters worse, my family or my friends or my church are, are silent about this. And I'm thinking, am I the only one feeling this? And the silence just makes the shame worse. If this is your story and you've struggled with gender dysphoria, I want you to know today that Jesus sees you here today. He sees you. Some of you might be familiar with the story of Jesus when a woman who had been bleeding for 14 years touches the edge of his cloak and he turns around and he sees her. In the same way, Jesus turns today and he sees you. And my hope is that you would encounter his love as he gazes into your life. My hope is that our church will not be a place of shame, but a place of real compassion as you navigate the gender dysphoria. Okay, that's my hope. Let's begin our process here today by getting comfortable with some terms. When it comes to the, when it comes to the whole issue of the transgender movement or gender dysphoria, there are a lot of terms that we need to be aware of. And what I want to let you know is I'm going to articulate uh, the terms and how our culture understands these terms. So these are not necessarily the biblical way of understanding them. I just want us to get familiar with how our culture is talking about some of these things. So first of all, biological sex. Biological sex are the physical and biological dimensions of being male or female. So in other words, sexual anatomy, internal reproductive systems, chromosomes, endocrine system, it, it's biology. Gender. Gender is the psychological, social, and cultural aspect of being male or female. 
So what that means, it's, it's kind of like your internal sense of self, cultural expectations, or like a cultural narrative for what men should do or women should do, or how we present ourselves, the clothes we wear, the things we take part in. Gender. Transgender is a person whose gender identity does not correspond to that person's biological sex assigned at birth. Or a person who does not conform to societal gender norms or roles. And then finally, gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is the level of distress that comes with feeling like one's sex does not match the perceived gender. So just note, in that list of four, it's gender dysphoria where people are living with uh, a stress, right? A distress that comes with feeling like you're, you're in the wrong body. All right, uh, maybe a little bit of a simpler chart here is, is the following. So gender identity is the gender I believe I am. So that's in the mind. Gender expression is how I dress, talk, and live. Biological sex is how I was born. And sexual orientation is who I'm attracted to. Hopefully that's helpful. Now, as we begin to talk about gender dysphoria, let's talk about some of the gender dysphoria transgender statistics. The DSM-5, released in 2013, says 0.005% to 0.014% of the population experiences gender dysphoria. Remember, that's just the distress, feeling like you're in the wrong body. So a generous number would be 0.014% of the population. Now look at some of these other numbers. Um, do we have those on the screen? 12% uh, of millennials, I'm sure it's coming, but I'll just give them to you here. 12% of millennials identify as transgender or gender nonconforming. Glad did a survey in 2017. Now just, just pause right there. Look at those first two stats. So 0.014% experience gender dysphoria, but 12% of millennials for all of you mathematicians, that is a massive percentage increase, right? Uh, so 12% would identify as part of the transgender movement or gender nonconforming. Look at that next stat. 27% of California youth identify as gender nonconforming. That's a UCLA study from 2017. Again, remember, only 0.014%, that's a generous number, would experience the distress, would experience that feeling that we talked about earlier, being a prison in, your, in, in, in jail, right? In your own body. But 27% of California teens identify as gender nonconforming. That means a massive amount of young millennials or teenagers are committing to being trans or part of that gender nonconforming movement and they do not experience that distress. Finally, 50% of millennials don't believe that gender is binary. Now, just a little note there, there is no agreement as to the causes of dysphoria, but genetic, neurodevelopmental, psychosocial factors may all contribute. So we're not sure exactly why that 0.014% of the population feels the dysphoria, but, uh, but these are the numbers about what's going on currently in our world. So look at those numbers. So I would argue that when 0.014% of the population experiences gender dysphoria, but when 27% of California youth identify as gender nonconforming, we have entered a trans moment in history. This has moved from a very small percentage of people who experience distress to a very large amount of, like disproportionately large amount of people who've adopted an ideology. There's distress and there's ideology. And I think for us as followers of Jesus, we need to make sure that we clearly, can clearly articulate the difference between those two. Are we as Jesus followers supposed to pour tons of compassion upon those who experience distress? You bet, 100%. But how do we speak to the ideology and the trans movement in our day that seeks celebration, right? What, what is the church's role there? We are in a transgender moment in history.
Let's talk about that moment for a second. Uh, we, were all, we all remember in June 2015 when Vanity Fair unveiled Caitlyn Jenner on its cover as she came out as trans. Her transition from Bruce to Caitlyn made massive waves in Western culture that year. Um, I, I had more of the picture of the Vanity Fair article, but my wife told me to make it smaller. And so, anyway, hopefully that is a very well doc, just an appropriate picture there for us. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it, I don't know if you remember that when, that when that Vanity Fair released, I mean, the world, like everyone was like talking about it, right? It made a huge wave in Western culture. Facebook currently has at least 71 gender options available to choose from if you wanted to specify your gender. 71. Um, by the way, they're not listed, they're not in a list, but you have to start typing a letter and then it'll, it'll, it'll feed you potential answers. The popular I Am Jazz TV show centers on Jazz Jennings, a South Florida teen who was assigned male at birth. At age four, Jennings was diagnosed with gender dysphoria, making her one of the youngest publicly documented people to be identified as gender dysphoric. Her parents, Greg and Jeanette, decided to support her female gender identity by her fifth birthday. Five years old. In 2017, the BBC reported that an eight-month-old Canadian baby was issued a health card without a gender marker in what could be the first case in the world. First case in the world here in BC. It was a baby here in BC. And their health card was issued with a U in the space for sex. So not an M or an F, but it was a U, which could be for undetermined or unassigned. And the mom said this, uh, quote, I'm raising my baby in such a way that until they have the sense of self and command of vocabulary to tell me who they are, I'm recognizing them as a baby and trying to give them all the love and support to be the most whole person that they can be outside the restrictions that come with the boy box and the girl box. In 2018, a decision was made by the BC government that British Columbians who do not identify as male or female can now choose to display an X in the gender field of their BC-issued driver's license, identity card, birth certificate, and BC services card. And we're all well aware of what happened June 2017. It was in the news all the time. Bill C-16 has become part of the larger conversation surrounding gender, pronoun use, freedom of speech, the rights of transgender people. The legislation adds, quote, gender identity or expression to grounds of discrimination in the Canadian Human Rights Act. And there's a lot of debate about the impact of that decision. Judith Lorber, a radical feminist, writes about the day when gender distinctives will have disappeared. She writes, quote, when we no longer ask boy or girl in order to start gendering an infant, when the information is as irrelevant as the color of a child's eyes, only then will men and women be socially interchangeable and really equal. And when that happens, there will no longer be any need for gender at all. And then there's this, when I want to go to the bathroom. And it is very true, you should always wash your hands. I mean, I'm saying, like, if you're a centaur or a mermaid, you should still wash your hands. We are living in a trans moment in history. And so the question for us as Christians is like, what are, how are we called to respond um, to this? How are we called to live, really, um, and to be uh, followers of Jesus at this time in history? It's a unique time. In history. Well, I think for us, we need to really be careful that we are making sure that we are a people of love and compassion for those who are walking through real gender dysphoria. We're going to have a whole conversation about the ideology of the trans movement, and a lot of that I'll talk about next week. But for today, I really want our hearts to be filled with compassion for the real people who are really suffering feeling like they are imprisoned in their own body. The reality is that suicide rates in the trans community are extremely high. We've heard that often, and that should fill us as followers of Jesus with compassion. It's interesting to note, though, that a, a recent study from Sweden showed that those who have had, and Sweden is ahead of us as, as Canadians in terms of uh, um, the data that they have uh, within, uh, amongst transgender people, but it showed that those that have had the transition surgery are 19 times more likely than average to die by suicide. 19 times more likely than the average person. 
And these are adults who have gone through the surgery, they've had the cross-sex hormones, they've had the puberty blockers, you know, the whole thing. And they're going, I'm still not happy. It hasn't helped. So where are we as followers of Jesus called into this life of compassion in this trans moment in history? Well, let's begin with the scriptures, right? Scripture is our authority. So what does the Bible have to say about gender? Well, as we explore the scriptures, I want us to see that, that God uh, created the body good. There is the goodness of the body revealed in scripture, and I hope you catch it. So Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then Genesis 1:31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Here in the pages of Genesis, we see a male-female binary in the pages of Scripture, and it is considered very good, very good gift from God. In Genesis chapter 2, um, we read that when Eve is taken from the side of Adam, so often we say Eve was formed out of the rib of Adam, which is interesting to note that it's, off, it's never translated rib, that word, the Hebrew word, uh, which is the word tzela, um, it's just, it should be translated as side, right? Not rib, but side. And almost every other mention, check it out, uh, in the Hebrew of this word, it's, con- it's talking about the side of the tabernacle or the side of the temple. A holy place of worship where God is worshiped. I mean, what is that saying about Adam's body and Eve's body? Adam and Eve's bodies are sacred, given to them as gifts to steward. And as they steward their bodies, their places of worship, I mean, it's just Im- incredible. It's that Hebrew word, selah, selah. Then in the passage we read, Psalm 139, the psalmist writes about the great artist, the great creator, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So we reject the idea that, that you know, creation is just this chaotic, um, uh, you know, random uh, way of seeing the creation of the body. No, God is a great artist who knits us together in our mother's wombs. And then when we show up to Jesus, uh, Todd Wilson in his book, Mere Sexuality, reminds us something really uh, clear is that Jesus was a male. Jesus was a male. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus came as a baby boy. Merry Christmas. That's our hope. Emmanuel, God with us, shows a Y chromosome. Is that not fascinating? Jesus is a single, celibate male with testosterone. Have we as a church cultivated this notion of a genderless Jesus? as though we were all trying to reach this moment when we, were all, we would all be genderless, right? And truly equal. Jesus was a male. And then when, when he's teaching in Matthew 19, Jesus affirms Genesis chapter 1. We saw that a few weeks ago in the series. He affirms Genesis chapter 1. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? Jesus affirms a male-female binary. Now, we're all aware um, of the fall Genesis chapter 3, it's the moment where sin comes into the story. And when sin enters the picture, we see that in creation there's just a brokenness. It's like something's broken about creation, broken about the world, about our bodies, about our minds. There's just something off. Sin, sickness, disease, all kinds of things are happening around the world. Pollution, like the whole thing, something is off about creation. But we look forward to what God will do one day when he gives us new resurrected bodies. Remember, Christians, followers of Jesus, we're Easter people, right? We're an Easter people. We're resurrection people. We're going to celebrate this in a few weeks. Jesus was not just raised a spirit from from the grave. He was raised a body. His body didn't stay in the grave and he was raised a spirit. No, he was raised in the body. We believe in the resurrection of the body. We look forward, as Revelation 21 says, to the new heavens and new earth where God will give us resurrected bodies. Like, bodies matter. Bodies matter, and matter matters. So, as we wait, though, between, you know, today and the new heavens and new earth, how are we called to live? Well, Paul talks about how our body is a temple. 
Today, we're called to see our body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Don't believe the lies of Gnosticism. For 2,000 years, Christianity uh, has spoken against the lies of Gnosticism, which says that really the only true me is the inner me. It's the inner me that I find my true self deep inside of me. Maybe I think it or I feel it. And really this body is just a shell. It's a shell to be discarded. I just want you to know that is not the scriptures. That's not our faith. God gave us a body to steward. In the same way, for those of you um, who track with God's heart for creation, God gave us this world. And we're not called to ruin it or pollute it or whatever. We're called to care for it. And in the same way, when we practice creation care, we should practice body care and say, this is the body, this right here, that God has given me to steward in my lifetime and care for it. It is a good gift to us. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good, Genesis 1, 31. So as we look at scripture, the body is a good thing. It's a good gift to us. Male and female are good gifts from God. Everything we see in the Bible affirms a male-female binary when it comes to gender. We don't see moments where you can explore a gender different than your biological sex. And we don't see anything in the Bible that would suggest a third category of gender, much less a, the 71 genders Facebook kindly offers us. Okay. A couple tough questions, though. And by the way, we're gonna, we are going to talk about more tough questions next week. But here's a couple tough ones. Question number one. While biological sex might be binary isn't gender fluid? Isn't gender fluid? So what about little boys who seem drawn to feminine things? What about little girls who seem drawn to things most common to boys? Like, isn't gender a fluid concept? It's a good question. Okay, so let's look at some assumptions we have about gender. Um, the Bible is pretty clear. If I've been assigned Male at birth, I need to live as a male. If I've been assigned female at birth by God, I need to live as a female. But you might find it interesting that the Bible has a very generous understanding of what it means to be a man and a woman. The Bible is more generous than we are, FYI. I want to make a point here. Today, we might be trapped in like 1950s versions of stereotypical male and female gender roles. So for instance, does a woman have to want to be a housewife to do her nails and to love the color pink and to love baking, right? Or does a male have to love steak, drive a Ford pickup truck, and know how to throw an ax, right? Are, the, are these the stereotypical roles that we find in the scriptures? Well, I just want to let you know that the Bible is a bit more progressive than we are in our world and in our stereotypes. I like the way Preston Sprinkle answers this one. He says this, think about it. Was David being a man when he was killing Goliath or when he was playing his harp and writing poetry while his brothers were off at war? Great question. <laughs> was Deborah being feminine when she led Israel to war? Was Jael living out her womanhood when she drove the tent peg through Sisera's head? Judges 4. I can't wait to do a sermon series through Judges. That's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> so Jael drives a tent peg. Maybe she had painted nails when she did it, right? Who knows? And how about that Proverbs 31 woman? Is she being feminine when she considers a field and buys it? Or when she provides food for her family? Was, and this is a big one. Was Jesus being masculine when he cried over Jerusalem and said he wanted to gather his people, catch it, as a mother hen gathers her chicks? Jesus is likening himself to a mother hen and weeping over a city? Right? Or was he only being manly when he turned over the tables in the temple? I would like to argue that the Bible is generous with what it means to be a man and a woman. And maybe, our, maybe it's our problem. Maybe we have these 1950s stereotypical views of what it means to be a man and a woman. 
But here's the deal. While the Bible is generous with what it means to be a man and a woman, what the Bible does not do, and this is where we have to be clear, it does not condone the notion that you should change your sex or gender. Nowhere in the pages of Scripture is that even close to a good suggestion in your life. Instead, in the pages of the Bible, we read that really we should change the questions we're asking. The scriptures encourage us actually to think like missionaries. So questions like, am I dressing in a modest way? Am I dressing in a way that pleases me or in a way that loves my neighbor? If my true heart is for people to come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, maybe I should put away my own desires for how I want to live and live in such a way that helps me love my neighbor. These are the questions we should be asking as followers of Jesus. Now, question number two. Doesn't the pre presence of intersex people prove there's more than one gender? It's a great question. The presence of intersex people. So what is intersex? We looked at this a uh, couple weeks ago. The inter Intersex Society of North America defines intersex like this. Intersex is a general term used for a variety of conditions in which a person is born with a reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't seem to fit the typical definitions of female or male. So the intersex community have reproductive or sexual anatomy that keep them from having children. One in every 5,000 births, so 0.02% of the population, would fall in the category of intersex. Now, it's interesting to note that Jesus seems to be aware of the intersex community. Again, we've talked about this before, but in Matthew chapter 19, he writes, and he uses a different word. So if you're going to the Bible to try to find the word intersex, you're not going to find it. But Jesus uses the word eunuch. A eunuch is somebody that had been, it was a castrated male and unable to have children, but he says, for there are eunuchs who were born that way. Jesus is aware, this is fascinating, he's aware of the intersex community. He's aware that there are those who were born whose sexual anatomy does not allow them to have children. So I just want to remind you, it's not as though like the Bible is like this super ignorant text and unaware that there were people that were born intersex. Not at all. But in my reading, most of the inter, and I'll say most, I found all in my studies, but I'll just say most to try to leave room for, for diverse opinions, but most of the intersex community want to adopt a male or female gender. They want to be either male or female. Here's the deal. They don't want to be genderless, or they don't want to label themselves as a third gender class. I just want to say that again. The intersex community don't want to be genderless or to label themselves as a third gender class. That's a big point. See, intersex is an abnormality or an exception to the XXXY, you know, binary that we have in creation. Are there other exceptions? Absolutely. There's the XYY or the XXY or whatever, and doctors can tell you more. But there, but there is, there is, it, this, is not, this does not constitute a third biological sex. It's an abnormality. It's an exception. And most of the intersex community wants to be one of the two genders, a male or a female. So what should the response of the church look like? Okay, I'd like to offer two words. Number one, stewardship, and number two, compassion. So for the first group, I'm going to talk about stewardship. Stewardship among those suffering with gender dysphoria. So if this is you, if gender dysphoria has been part of your story, again, just to be clear, not talking about the transgender movement, but that 0.014% of the population who lives with this dysphoria, I would encourage you um, that God has given you a beautiful gift that you're called to steward. Like all of creation, you're called to steward it, to look after your body, to care for it, for what the potter has made is beautiful. Even if you look in the mirror and don't like what you see, what the potter has made, the great artist, the creator, is beautiful. Psalm 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're not called to change the art that the potter has made. 
No, because you were made in the image of God. We've talked about this a lot at North Langley. The Imago Dei, the image of God. You are his beautiful piece of art. How can you steward what you've been given? But the pushback you might have for me is that, listen, Matthew, but my body is, it's like it's groaning. It's, the dysphoria is heavy. You know, if Jesus saved us from our sin, why do I continue to struggle with the dysphoria? Why do I continue to struggle when I feel like my mind and my body are out of sync? I want you just to hear some, some verses from the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, catch that, groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Paul says that there's many of us who just experience this groaning going, this world is not the way it should be. And that it allows us to look forward to the hope we have in new creation when God will make all things new and when God will give us new bodies. And so for those of you who live with the dysphoria now, let it be a reminder of a hope that you have, the hope of a new body that will come one day, the hope of a, the resurrection of the body, the hope of new creation. Now, for those of us who have never struggled with gender dysphoria, um, again, a word I've used a lot today is the word compassion. Compassion to those suffering with gender dysphoria. Um, note, next week, I will speak to those who have adopted the ideology, but again, right now, I want to talk to that point, 0.14% of people who, for whom this is a real struggle. Um, I was really helped by a writer who said, um, you really got to understand gender dysphoria is like musical dissonance. Some of you will know like musicians, people who love music. Musical dissonance, it's like music that's always seeking resolution, but it's never getting there, right? It never gets to that point of fully resolving. And it's just like annoying, right? For us who love music, it's just like, finish and it never finishes and they say this is what, can you imagine living with that dissonance constantly and you we need to know that we have to frame this correctly as christians the, that 0.014 percent of the population who experiences this this is not willful disobedience right this is not something they asked for and it's important for us as a church not to frame this as an obedience disobedience issue what you then go ahead and do to your body might be a different conversation, but in terms of the feelings, no, this is a chance for compassion. Remember, Jesus says this about his own life. He says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. We come gently, the gentleness of Jesus here, and we can be a people of love, a people who listen, a people who are not weirded out when someone tells us about their dysphoria, a people who encourage each other, not to change our gender, but to steward our body and to thank him for the gift of our body. You know, the Apostle Paul had what he called a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was, but Paul prayed that God would take it away. And God doesn't take it away, which is puzzling, right? But God says this to Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. How can we as a church run alongside our brothers and sisters who experience gender dysphoria, cheer them on, remind them that they are loved by God, praying that God's power would be made perfect in their weakness, praying that God's grace would be sufficient for them? Could we be a people of compassion? Could our friendships and apprentice groups and life groups this week be spaces of honesty? What if this week, this week, in February, could be a week where the, for the very first time, some of us here at the church open up for the very first time, maybe it's been decades, we open up for the first time about our gender dysphoria. Andrew Walker writes this, only Christians humble enough to recognize their own brokenness will be capable of walking with people through struggles that seem very different from their own. Let's be that kind of people. And I'd love to welcome up my friend Andy, Andy Britnell. Can you welcome Andy to the stage? Andy, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Andy, um, so we've had lots of chats, but Andy, can you uh, just begin by, by telling me a little bit of your story that started when you were quite young? Yeah, it, it started 
as long as I can remember, uh, age four or five, uh, I struggled with feeling like a girl. I, you know, I knew I was a boy, but I felt like a girl. I would talk to my mom about it, and she was patient and kind. She would sit me down and pray with me. She would uh, tell me I, God made me a boy and that I couldn't be a girl, but yet uh, it didn't help me at all. Uh, I, you know, as time went on, I must, I did a lot of things that girls like to do, and uh, I had a next-door neighbor that uh, she was a little older than me. I enjoyed going over to her place and uh, playing house, and she would dress me up. Uh, I obviously told her these things, and uh, uh, one day she uh, dressed me up and sent me out the door, locked the door, and I was trapped outside, and uh, my dad was washing the car, and that was so humiliating, and my father just looked at me, and I'll never forget that look, and I, I thought to myself, like, how could anyone love uh, someone like me? And I, I just said, I've got to change. I've got to stop this. I, I, I can't do this anymore, and I, I, uh, I made a decision that I'm going to tough this one out. And, uh, but yet, I still prayed every night uh, that God would change me uh, into a girl, that I'd wake up in the morning. But the way I changed, I, I decided I'm going to just play sports. And I, I played sports with the neighbors' kids. And I, I, I like the way Matthew described it. Uh, you know, like we all think that guys, uh, everybody should be a sports guy. So I, I really was confused. And so I just thought, but being a guy, that I should play sports. So I played baseball, football, hockey. I played as tough as I could. I was aggressive as I possibly could. I, you wouldn't have wanted to play against me. I was, I was mean. And, uh, but that really wasn't me. I, <clears throat> when I got older, um, we had a YMCA membership, and um, I would go for swimming lessons and uh, gym class. And once in a while, we had free time, and my friend and I uh, would go to a movie. And uh, this movie was the Christine Jorgensen story. It was a movie about uh, one of the first sex changes. And I saw this person as a little boy, and it was exactly my story. And so now I, I had an identity. I, it was very relieving for me. I, I realized I wasn't alone. I, I wasn't struggling on my own. And it gave me an identity. I thought there was hope for me uh, in the future. But I, I knew I had to fight. Uh, I, wa I wanted to be accepted by people. I, I didn't want to be... Uh, for me, I said wimp. I, I just wanted to fight this one out. And so when I was 19, I, I got into endurance sports and uh, I cycled across Canada um, on my bicycle from White Rock to Halifax. It took me 70 days. Most of it I did by myself, and, but the torment was there. It just wouldn't leave. Every moment, every mile, every... Oh, gosh, it was, it was tough. I got into mountaineering. I thought that would toughened me up and uh, every peak I was on it just never left me I joined the RCMP and I, I got married and, and the RCMP was good the, the work was exciting it, um, it helped me it helped me feel masculine um, but you know the torment was there and the marriage uh, failed after seven years it, it, it just didn't work I it was hard. Uh, I, my poor wife at the time. We were divorced after seven years, and uh, during that time, alimony and child support was very difficult. Um, I, I was living in my car for a while. I needed to get help, so I, I went to uh, the gender identity clinic uh, here in Vancouver, saw a psychiatrist, and uh, right off the right off the bat, uh, uh, she. Uh, she identified me as transgendered, um, and I had several sessions with her. Uh, during that time, uh, I decided uh, that I, I needed to cope with this. Uh, she offered me uh, hormone replacement therapy, uh, but I, I decided the best thing I could do would be to continue with my career and support my kids and family uh, uh, with this alimony and child support and there's, I needed the job as well. I, uh, I ended up thinking that maybe uh, sleeping uh, with, with men might be the way to go. I, I was very confused. Uh, that didn't 
work for me. I, I didn't like that, but unfortunately, I, I, uh, I got HIV, and I became very sick, and I took a year off uh, work uh, during that time. And during that time, uh, I thought I was going to die. This was the uh, late, uh, early 1990s, uh, late eight, 1980s, and that was a death sentence, and I thought I was going to die. Really, it was a good thing, because uh, I... I picked up a book by the name of Prison to Praise by Merlin Carruthers. And he was uh, a fellow that uh, committed crimes and went to jail. And in jail, he, the Lord uh, saved him and uh, his sins were forgiven. I, and I, I gave my life to the Lord and I felt accepted by God and, uh, and I began uh, following Christ. Yeah, Andy, first of all, thank you for, for all that you're sharing here. Um, you know, you describe these, these there's, there's a series of events that became like a turning point for you. So can you just describe the, the turning point? I know this, this book was one of those, and uh, what happened? Well, that was the start, um, the book, uh, Matthew. But um, I started, uh, I, I did get well again. Um, I, I'd taken a transfer now. I was in Cornwall, Ontario, uh, during the smuggling days, and I started going to a church, uh, the Church of God, in a small town in, in Riceville, and I found that during worship, uh, I had a sense of uh, freedom, um, but the shame was still there, the shame of uh, having HIV, the shame of wanting to change gender and want, uh, feeling like a woman, uh, it just, it just drove me nuts, and I couldn't, I couldn't talk to people about it. I, just like Matthew said, I, I was alone in church. But the worship was tremendous. There was freedom. But when I left church, uh, the torment was back. I didn't get free. I just couldn't. I was alone. Um, during that time, I met Jude, uh, who some of you know is my wife. Uh, and I, I talked to her about my problems. And because Jude's background with having a mentally ill child, uh, she was a very patient woman and she accepted me. I told her everything and she was, she was wonderful. And we fell in love, we got married and we moved to uh, uh, British Columbia again and I, I was transferred here and we stumbled around uh, from church to church and finally settled in 2009 or 2010 here at North Langley. And. Uh, during worship, <clears throat> during worship, uh, the Lord just, his presence came. You know, I came into this church with shame, and the shame left. I was set free. I was set free, and I no longer struggle with this. Mm. Glory to God. And I just, it just, it's, it's just been fantastic. The torment is gone. It's gone. You know, and once in a while, in the middle of the night, holy smokes, it's amazing. Once in a while, in the middle of the night, yeah, you're tempted. You wake up and, uh, oh my God, you know, uh, uh, it just, I've, I've won the battle. Uh, Christ won it for me. It wasn't my battle all along. It was his. He won it for me. And I just say that to the enemy and it just leaves. And he cannot touch us or harm us because we're children of God. We're his. We belong to him. Right. And, and it's just amazing. Uh, I am so grateful for this church and I'm so grateful for the Lord. Uh, yeah, Andy, thank you. So good. I... My last, my last question for you is this. Um, for those who are suffering in silence here today, um, let's say there's someone just like yourself who's here, ha have it told a soul what they're feeling, what would you say to them? Uh, I would say that uh, don't, don't change your gender. Uh, uh, just the Lord loves you. Uh, you're, you're his. You belong to him. He, like Matthew said, uh, he created us and he, he loves us. He knit us together. He made us uh, whole. He, he made us, um, you know, what he did for me was when I was in the mire and, uh, 
and uh, in that muck and in that mess and, and so confused uh, when I got out of it, when I asked for him to, to come into my life, I, I didn't realize it, but at that time he, 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 he opened his arms for, and he grasped me and he held me and he, he held on to me, he ran out to, the, to that, that pathway, just, you know, the prodigal son, he ran out to that pathway and grabbed me and held me and clothed me in righteousness and clothed me in a new coat, a new garment, and made me whole and made me a new creation and set me free. And, and, and who knows what he'll do to you. He is so kind and so beautiful. Christ, you just you can't imagine what he'll do to you. I, I, everyone's story is different. But he'll do it perfectly for you. He, we are precious to him. Oh, we are so precious. He loves us so much. And that's what I want to tell you. I also want to tell you that, uh, that he gave me an opportunity to be an usher here. And um, I, I find uh, by serving everyone here, uh, walking with the Lord and serving, like we're brothers and we're sisters and, we are so lucky to have each other, and we, we all have different roles here, and it's just beautiful that we're together and we worship together. We worship our Heavenly Father together. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And just, just stay with the Lord. That's what I need to tell you. Let's Let's stand together. Andy, thank you so much. We can be praying. Could you today pray for Andy? Um, he's going to share that three more times. And so uh, you can just lift him up to the Lord today. He's going to share it tonight at 5 o'clock. If you know of someone who needs to hear this story, come back at 5. But let's end with the words of Jesus. <clears throat> come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, we praise you. Praise you for the work that you have done in Andy's life. Thank you that in a moment of worship in this room, you remove the shame from him. And Holy Spirit, I pray as we enter into worship right now that you would do the same in our lives. Holy Spirit, come, set us free, pour the love of God upon us. Amen.